Up the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting for fear of little men. Up the airy mountain. All right, back off, you creepo. This is uh, the Heroes and Whiskey podcast. This is episode eight, entitled Outside Wonka's Factory, the 35 minutes from your childhood that you repressed. This is Tim. I am here at the basement bar. I'm here at the basement bar by myself, uh, which I guess is kind of sad. Jack is uh, off doing right by his country, and Natalie is not feeling well, and so... I'm here to do this one by myself. So the drink on the bar, since we were talking about Willy Wonka, is another one of my concoctions called the Golden Ticket. I tried to use things that were yellow. And so it is a little bit of uh, Reposada tequila, which is yellow uh, a coconut and pineapple sparkling ice. I'm not sure who makes these sparkling ices. Um, and then some elderflower liqueur. And so on behalf of those who can't be with us, Whoa, that was a lot. That was supposed to be a tink that had a gong. Okay, we are talking about Willy Wonka. Why are we talking about Willy Wonka? And of course, I'm talking about the 1971 version, not the Johnny Depp version, which I have never seen. Uh, but if you follow us over on Instagram, you know that uh, my latest um, hobby obsession is making 3D art using Blender and various other things. And and so I, for some reason, it got in my head to make a 3D scene of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And what I didn't realize at the time is that a lot of the buildings that are used for the outside set of, of the chocolate factory, um, including the one that appears like five seconds before the clip that uh, introduced this episode, um, all of those buildings are real. They exist. They still exist. The gate still exists. Uh, just outside of Munich, and um, and so I was doing some exploring for the the 3D art and discovered that these buildings are still there. And so you can actually, you could go to the gate. It doesn't say Wonka across the top, but you could go to the gate. You could look through the window that Charlie Bucket looks through. Um, and so it's actually kind of cool, like a little piece of uh, film history. But a as I was doing some research for um, for that, a 3D creation, I watched, rewatched for the first time in many, many years, um, well, the whole movie, but especially the the beginning. And I have to say there, I, I've probably seen this movie 20 times, you know, I, it came out when I was two. And so I remember being uh, obviously traumatized by it uh, when I was younger, like most of you who are my age. Um, and there are some things that I don't remember. And I, the first part of this movie is really kind of messed up. And so I remember, like most of you, that there's this overall sense of dread that you get with this movie. I mean, there's some like fantastical and, and beautiful pieces of it, but also this like uh, really dark, sinister tone to some of it. And, you know, we all remember all of the things that happened once the the kids and their family get into get into the factory in the ways that you know Gustus Gloomp and everybody else um, ends up getting kind of sucked up into the machinery of the the factory, but the the first uh, part of this movie is 
it, it's really kind of strange. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, exploring why it makes us feel uneasy. Are you know are there any lessons that we can learn as storytellers ourselves? Um, and you know just kind of thinking about well we'll we'll get to this in a second. So. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, um, obviously based on the Roald Dahl book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, came out in 1971. It was directed by Mel Stewart. He was primarily a documentarian at the time, and um, he spent his Thanksgivings with his, I don't know if he spent his Thanksgivings, but he had a famous first cousin in Stan Lee, who you may have, who you may have heard of. Um, and, and so Willy Wonka... I'm going to use that for short. Uh, that's the name of the movie, Willy Wonka. Um, it, it One of the things that I was very curious about is do some of these old movies that uh, we remember fondly from our childhood, do they follow any of the guidelines or structures that uh, we've talked about in previous episodes, whether it's the the story clock or the hero's journey or any of that kind of thing? And... Um, from a character's perspective, there's definitely a hero's journey arc. They really do a fantastic job of setting up Charlie Bucket as this kind of down on his luck uh, a hero. Um, you know, he he dreams of something better. He doesn't know how he can achieve it. Uh, he gets an opportunity to uh, to win win the adventure of a lifetime, and uh, and then at the end, he's the one who kind of uh, shows his quality. And ends up earning the um, earning the factory. So there's definitely uh, some traditional elements of the hero's journey here. As far as how the story plays out, it is not a traditional three act structure at all. I, I mean, you, I guess you could say that there are three acts. There is a very short introduction to some of the characters and ideas, uh, and then you get uh, kind of the kickoff of the well. The story starts moving forward with the actual uh, chocolate bar competition, you get about 25 minutes worth of that. But, um, you know, the, the most of what we remember, which is the, the time that they spend in the chocolate factory, doesn't kick in until about the 45-minute mark. And so the f- whole first 45 minutes um, is them outside of the factory. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about, because, as I said, it's weird. Some of it doesn't necessarily... Um, age well uh and you know we all and a lot of this is coming from like again i've seen this many many times and i didn't like there are some scenes that i just don't remember at all i remember everything from the last half i remember you know all of the different rooms what happened to all the characters the oompa loompas the songs all that kind of thing there are some things from the beginning though that i just did not remember and it the thing is the uh the first 45 minutes really sets the tone, not only for the, the film. Like, And I can still, I, I still feel what I felt back then, uh, you know, f- not 50 years ago, but 45 years ago, probably when I first saw it. I still remember just a, like you think about this movie and it, it's, you think about the wonderful parts of it, but you, then there's also this other underlying feeling that goes with it. Like they really did a good job of juxtapositioning, juxtapositioning, is that a, is that a verb? Um, kind of the best things in life represented by candy and just the overall office, awfulness of humanity and 
um, the corrupting nature of greed. And, you know, most of the adults in this movie are pretty awful, including some of the kids. And I think we're maybe going to do a, a more extended episode about uh, subtext and some other things, which this movie is full of later on. But for now, I just want to, like, talk through the first 35, 40 minutes. Because, like I said, it is it is a little weird. So, right, so the... The first thing um, that you notice with this movie is that uh, there's no frame of reference. So you, you don't even know where it's taking place. It, um, it, it seems to have a multinational nature. Uh, it seems to be set in a European location, which um, well, I don't know where it is. Uh, but you can tell by the, the architecture, by the street signs, by the clothes that people are wearing, by the cars... Um, by the the shop signs that it's clearly you know it's designed to be set somewhere in Europe and yet most of the characters most of the main characters uh, have American accents uh, but then then they're kind of randomly interspersed with other characters uh, who have European accents. So obviously Charlie Bucket and his whole family, they all have American accents. Willy Wonka has an American accent. Um, but like the newspaper man who Charlie works for, he's German. The teacher of their class is uh, very British. Um, the guy who plays the candy man is kind of half British, half 1920s New Yorker. And, you know, I kind of waited for him to say, hey, you want some candy, see? And so there's like, we have no, it, it starts out with with no grounding whatsoever in where we even are. And so it, it starts very much with this sense of uh, kind of unease and lack of stability. And so the, the first scene, if you recall, is uh, kids are getting out of school. They run down to the candy shop where you get the, the famous Candyman song. And I have to say, this this scene does not age well. Uh, you know, nothing to the actor who portrayed the Candyman, but to see a guy with slick back hair and uh, offering candy to kids, and he's got this, he, he has that look in his eye, you know, um, you know how kid shows are done where the whoever's the host of the show has to act like they're really engaged with the kid, so he's got that kind of vibe about him, but he has a bit of a creepy look, and he's, like, giving them candy. They're giving him candy back. At one point, he uh, kind of opens up the uh, the back door to his shop, and they all come running in so they can access all of the candy shelves, and just the way he looks at the kids. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things that does not age well. They probably would not have made a, a scene like that these days. Um, and so this is just, you know, the modern me, um, ap applying my feelings about it to, uh, to a movie that's obviously, uh, uh, 50 years old. Um, so that's not entirely fair, but you know, there's that to me as part of it is like, this does not feel right, um, to begin with. So, and then, uh, we're introduced to Charlie Bucket at that point. He's kind of literally on the outside of the candy shop looking in. Um, it's clear that he's in poverty based on what he's he's wearing, but he's got a job with uh, the newspaper man who's right outside the candy shop. 
And so it's his, it's his first payday. And so he's super excited about his first payday. And uh, he runs home. And on his way home, he stops by the gate to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And this is where we get the clip. I'm going to play the whole thing because this was another thing that I did not remember and is probably not appropriate for five-year-old kids. So this, the setup is Charlie is walking home. Um, he's looking through, uh, kind of a, a window in the gate and this guy comes up behind him with a cart full of, uh, knives and sharp implements. And this is the way it goes. Up the airy mountain, down the rushing glen, we dare not go a hunting for fear of little men. You see... Nobody ever goes in. Nobody ever comes out. So he's literally backing up with a cart full of cleavers and other sharp instruments. <laughs> Apparently he's supposed to be a tinker. I don't know what a tinker does. But this is the sort of thing, like, somebody comes up to your kid on the street and talks like that, and you run away. Um, and Charlie, to his credit, he does a great job of uh, resetting himself and uh, running to go see his family. So then we're, we're introduced to uh, Charlie's mom and his four grandparents, the, obviously the most important grandparent to him. Is, uh, is Grandpa Joe, and so they're all very excited when Charlie comes home, and uh, Charlie observes that they're, uh, they're having cabbage water for dinner, um, and he's very upset about that, and he reveals to his family that he has used his first payday to buy a loaf of bread, which of course they're all kind of surprised by, and uh, we're introduced to Charlie's very generous spirit, uh, but then... Again, this was something that I did not remember and does not necessarily age well. So he has some money left over from this bread. He gives his mother uh, a coin um, for her, and then he gives a coin to his his Grandpa Joe. So Grandpa Joe is kind of the the main grandpa from from the movie. And you just kind of have to hear how this uh, how this goes. You keep it. All right. So he gave Except money for this. He's giving his money to for Grandpa now Joe. I'm going to pay for your tobacco. No one's going to pay for it, Charlie. I'm giving it up. Come on, Dad. It's only one pipe a day. When a loaf of bread looks like a banquet, I have no right buying tobacco. Go on, Grandpa. Please take it. <laughs> All right. So if you're tracking there, uh, Charlie is offering to buy his grandpa's tobacco. And his grandpa... Uh, rightly so, is saying that he's, no, he's going to quit his tobacco. And <laughs> he's being encouraged by both, uh, I'm assuming it's his daughter and his grandson to uh, keep after his tobacco. So that's another thing that I'm not really sure uh, would, uh, it hasn't aged well. Um, so then the next scene is we get uh, some some exposition, uh Charlie and his grandpa are talking about kind of the history of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, um, how it closed down, but then it reopened magically and who works there. And then we're also introduced to the idea of this character in uh, Slugworth, who is Willy Wonka's uh, um, business competition. And so this is all done through Grandpa Joe telling it to, uh, to Charlie. 
Um, and, you know, it's, uh, Charlie ends by saying, well, so who's actually working in the factory? And Grandpa says, that is the greatest mystery of all. And so it's kind of this setup, like, who's actually working in the factory? I don't know that this is this is ever really paid off very well. Obviously, we see it's the Oompa Loompas, but there's nothing about the Oompa Loompas that, um, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a setup where the, the payoff doesn't really feel like it, it fits. Uh, so I'm just, you know, I, I got my computer here. I'm skipping ahead to these different scenes. So then we go back to, to Charlie's school. He's got his, uh, his teacher asked him to do a little experiment where they're making nitroglycerin. So that's another thing where they're like pouring random cam- chemicals into a vat. There's a little bit of explosion and then there's a ruckus outside and the teacher, uh, you know, runs outside to see what's going on. And here we get uh, exposition by kid where a kid comes up and says that uh, Willy Wonka is, is offering to, um, to give away a lifetime supply of chocolate. Uh, and all people have to do is run out and buy Willy Wonka bars. So of course, and they, they do a really good job with Charlie here uh, setting up that he's sad. He knows he doesn't have any money. Um, and knows he can't go and and buy uh, Wonka bars. Um, so then there's this really interesting bit. So um, if you had asked me, I would not have remembered that the prize was a lifetime supply of chocolate. I would have remembered that it was maybe a tour that ends with the the chocolate. But you know, the the tour is the thing that we remember. But if you listen to this this scene here, you'll notice that that piece of it, the piece that there's even a tour associated with a lifetime supply of chocolate, uh, almost gets, well, it does get talked over. Like you wouldn't, the first time watching it, you would not have known that there was any kind of tour of the facility associated with it. So here's that bit. And as if this were not enough, each winner before he receives his prize will be personally escorted They're all the crazy. The man's a genius. Right. So you notice how like the 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 news story um gets put under the conversation that's happening in uh, Charlie's house. So it's almost like they're they're downplaying that piece of it. And so then we get uh this kind of montage of uh, how popular the Wonka bars are. There's even a shot of a, <laughs> a blue Ford ba- van, like the ones from Lost, um, with the white tops sitting outside the uh, the White House, um, and just people buying up the the Wonka bars. And then again, this is something that I did not remember at all. But I I want you to. So what's happening here is we're seeing a, a shot of a bunch of people buying. Wonka bars in the supermarket. So I want you to listen to um, the the newscaster in the background, and then the next scene, which was one that I did not remember, is a, a psychotherapist and his client. And we're gonna play that whole thing all the way through. Hold up under the strain. Oh, sorry. Let's go back here. Let's listen to the whole phenomenal. Thing. Wonka bars are beginning to disappear from candy store shelves at a rate to boggle the mind. Truly, it is incredible the way that Wonkamania has descended upon the globe. While the world searches, we watch and wait, wondering where the pursuit will lead and how long the spirit of man will hold up under the strain. I'm still having these dreams, Doctor, and I still can't stop myself from believing them. I've told you, Mr. Hostetter, to believe in one's dreams is a manifestation of insanity, and the sooner you accept this, the sooner you'll get well. 
But I dreamed the Archangel appeared and whispered into my ear and told me where to find a Golden Wonka ticket. And what exactly did he say? Well, what difference does that make? This was a dream, a fantasy. I mean, you said just Shut now... Shut up, offsetter, and tell me where the ticket is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So the first thing is this uh, very glum news report that ends with this phrase, how long the spirit of man will hold up under the strain. And then you get this uh, therapist office where the, the patient is saying that he had a dream about the archangel uh, coming to him and telling him where the last golden ticket is. Uh, and so th this is getting really weird really quickly. Uh, so the next thing that happens is there's another kind of fake news report uh, that the first ticket has been found. It's been found by, of course, Augustus Gloomp. And so then we cut to uh, a reporter in a restaurant um, and so the reporter, it, this whole thing is framed in such a way that the reporter is standing in front of a mounted deer head on the wall and he's in front of the deer's head, but not the horns. And so you see this guy with the horns coming out of his head. And so in fairly short order, we get this, uh, commentary about the spirit of man holding up under the strain. You get somebody talking about the archangel, and then you get this imagery of uh, somebody, of a man with horns. And I don't know if any of this is, is intentional or not, uh, but the, uh, the symbolism seems to be layered pretty deep here. So then uh, we get introduced to the, the Gloomp family, and this is also our first introduction to... Uh, to Slugworth, who's obviously not, uh, spoiler alert, he's not really Slugworth, um, but he is a just a super creepy character, and the one thing that I spotted re-watching this is, so he's he's whispering to Augustus while with his, his other hand, he's serving him sausages with this giant fork, and there's this, this real uh, kind of intentionality and violence about how he's uh, grabbing these sausages and, and dumping them on Augustus's plate. So again, I don't know if any of this symbolism is intentional, but um, you kind of see it now as an adult. Um, so then the next scene is Charlie comes home. It's his birthday. His family has been knitting him a scarf and his grandpa got him. I don't know how he got it for him since he hasn't gotten out of bed, uh, a Wonka bar and Charlie pulls a trick where he says, Hey, I got a golden ticket, but he didn't really. And so his family is all excited. Um, and then he turns around to reveal he was just tricking them all along. And so the whole scene ends, uh, very sadly. And so then we head over to, uh, to England to the salt peanut factory where we're introduced to Veruca Salt and her father. And this is a scene that's very memorable. All of the women um, on the factory floor uh, opening up all of the Wonka bars. Uh, Veruca is obviously um, insufferable. Her father is a, a, you know, simpering man who's just trying to make his daughter happy while recognizing that he's faced with an impossible task. But then there's somebody else in the scene who, again, I do not remember. I don't know if it's supposed to be um, her mother or who exactly it is, but there's all of this chaos going on out in the factory floor. Uh, Veruca is uh, wound up very tightly. The father is wound up very tightly. But then there's this woman who's just sitting on the couch uh, knitting or not knitting, knitting. She's doing a she's doing needlepoint. And um, 
she says, you know, you're not going to be popular around here if you don't do what she says. And so then, fortunately, somebody finds the ticket um, and uh, brings it up to Veruca. Um, but then the woman says, happiness is what counts for children, happiness and harmony. And so, again, it's this weird juxtaposition of all of this uh, kind of chaos and anger going on. And she's this uh, almost out-of-body presence who doesn't seem to be affected at all by what's going on and it just like a very strange juxtaposition um and this is also a place slugworth of course also happens to be here and we're going to talk about this a bit later but he the, i mean the actor who plays slugworth he he really makes the dread of this movie because there's a, a shot i don't know if you remember the woman finds the ticket he uh escorts the woman up the staircase to meet Veruca and he there's a moment where he like changes his pace and his uh just the way that he moves into a way that's very sinister very almost uh like Voldemort like and so he just does a fantastic job of setting up this tone and again it's this this juxtaposition of the work the worker is really joyful because she's found the golden ticket uh, Veruca is very greedy because she got the golden ticket, and then you have this very sinister figure uh, in the background. So then um, there's another kind of montage with uh, um, with news, a voiceover about how nobody has any Wonka bars anymore. Um, and, and then there's even a shot of Wonka bars being taken off a Pan American jet and being put into a, um, an armored car by uh, armed guards. And that was also something that I did not, uh, did not remember. Um, and then, and we're still, so we're like 18, into, 18 minutes into the movie right now. Um, and then there's a scene, again, this is a scene with like no characters who are actually in the movie of this guy who apparently has developed a computer um, that can find the tickets. And so he spends a couple of minutes trying to convince these uh, tired, old, corporate-looking men that he's created this computer, which, of course, doesn't work, and he gets into this back and forth as a computer. But, it, 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 yeah, it, there, it's not any of our characters. It's just a scene inserted into the movie. Um, and then we're introduced to uh, Violet Beauregard. Uh, she's found the... The next ticket, you know, Charlie's getting more and more sad because there's fewer and fewer um, tickets available. Uh, the Slugworth is there again at the uh, the news conference with with Violet Beauregard, and then there's a, another scene that I did not remember where Charlie goes to meet his mother. She apparently works for like a commercial laundry facility, and so you know he talks to her about what's going on. And they really say very little, but then he walks away sad. You know, he's obviously very sad, but then there's this song, Cheer Up Charlie, which I don't remember at all. And it's really super depressing. It's like three minutes of Charlie walking and looking down, and it's just very uh, somberly done, but it's like this very long extended song about how sad Charlie is. Uh, so then we are introduced to 
Oh, it's taking me forever to skip through this Cheer Up Charlie scene because it's so long. That's what's going on here. So then we're introduced to uh, Mike TV. Um, and so I'm going to play this whole uh, Mike TV setup. Obviously, Mike is insufferable uh, the same way that Baruka is. But um, let's listen to this to the end and see if you pick up on anything that maybe also doesn't age very well is lucky winner number four. Now, the name soon to be heard around the universe is Mr. Mike TV. Hey, Mike, do you think we might shut that thing off? No, are you crazy? He won't answer till the station break. Mike, the country wants to hear from you. The world is waiting, Mike. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. I serve all his TV dinners right here. He's never even been to the table. You love to watch TV, Mike? You bet. What about that golden ticket, Mike? That's what we all Hold it, I want to catch this. You like the killings, huh? What do you think life's all about? <laughs> uh, so in case you didn't catch that last bit, you like all the killings, huh? Yeah, what do you think that life's all about? <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, uh, I don't even know what to say about something like that. And uh, of course, uh, Slugworth is in this scene too. He always has his scar facing towards the the camera, um, just so in case we, uh, we didn't know that he was supposed to be a, a bad character. Uh, he's there, and somehow he has the opportunity to whisper into Mike TV's um, ears. And then there's a, um, a kind of a touching scene with uh, with Grandpa Joe and and Charlie. And uh, Grandpa Joe has uh, secretly bought him a Wonka bar. Again, I don't know how this happens. And they open it, and you really think to yourself, okay, this is going to be one. They, I mean, they really do a great job of setting up. Uh, these layers and layers of expectation and disappointment for uh, for Charlie and both of the actors do a fantastic job and you know of course the golden ticket isn't in there and they're both very sad and, and I mean really the the relationship is is really well played out um, but then we get uh, a, a couple more scenes. Um, that have nothing to do with our main characters. One is an, an auction. The, you know, the world is out of Wonka bars, so there's an auction where they're auctioning off the last box of Wonka bars in Britain, and there's some, you know, there's a joke at the end where it's implied that the Queen of England um, is in the room, but then there's another scene, uh, which <laughs> I don't remember at all. So it's a, again, no characters from the movie, it's a detective and a woman, and uh, the woman's husband has been kidnapped. And so we'll just let this run here and see how this goes. I'll give them anything, anything they want. All I want is to have Harold back. Go ahead, we're listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What did they ask for? Whatever it is, they can have it. They want your case of Wonka bars. Miss Curtis, did you hear me? It's your husband's life or your case of Wonka bars. How long will it give me to think it over? <laughs> so, I, uh, did anybody else remember that scene? Like, uh, what is even... What is even happening here? I mean, it's uh, like it's it's funny to to watch it now, but like as a kid uh, watching this whole thing, um, just a very interesting uh, 
scene to include. So um, then there's a couple of minutes uh, where apparently the fifth ticket has been won by um, some multimillionaire in Paraguay. Uh, we go back to Charlie's family who's been watching it on TV. They're very sad. They talk about, you know, and Grandpa Joe even says, hey, wh what does the boy have to believe in now? Which strikes me as kind of defeatist. But, um, you know, you see Charlie lying in bed who's heard this whole thing. Um, and then uh, the, the there's a scene in school where he has to admit that he was only able to ever purchase uh, two Wonka bars, which, of course, he gets he gets mocked for and uh you know the whole thing is is very sad charlie's very downtrodden um he finds some then he's walking home and he finds some money in the sewer he finds a coin right outside the candy shop and so he runs in um buys a, a wonka bar he's got a little bit of money left over he's like all right i'll buy one more for my grandpa joe and so it's a traditional Wonka bar. He goes outside to see a, a hubbub where everybody is realizing that the, um, the, the fifth ticket was uh, won fraudulently, the, that this guy from Paraguay uh, made up a fake ticket. And so, of course, there's this moment where Charlie's like, all right, well, maybe I still have a chance. And he has this one Wonka bar. And they, again, they do, this is fantastic. They do a fantastic job of, like, setting up the tension and, uh, you know, he opens up the Wonka bar and there, of course, is his golden ticket. And it's really, really kind of this great moment. And there's a little celebration on the street. He runs home and he runs down this alley. And sure enough, uh, there is there's Slugworth uh, who explains to him this whole plot, which is he wants Charlie to steal an everlasting gobstopper. Otherwise, Wonka is going to to put him, put him out of business. Um, and then, uh, uh, and that's kind of like the, the end of this act. He goes home there. He announces to his family that he has, that he's won. Um, there's that, uh, the golden ticket song with grandpa Joe. And that's kind of the end. And while we're here, I'm going to have a little uh, drink of my golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. So, uh, so then we get the the ceremony where they're all waiting outside the the factory. You get one of the best, I think, character entrances in movie history from from Willy Wonka. And even here, there's a, like this contradiction. He acts like he's sick, but he's actually not. He's tricking us all. And this juxtaposition between I feel bad about this and then I feel good about this. And there's a lot of that going on throughout this movie. And then the, the last thing I just wanted to play for you, hold on, I'm going to skip ahead here, is um, when Mike TV walked in, you know, they all walk in the gate. They all introduce themselves to Willy Wonka. We can talk later about what an awesome character Willy Wonka is and how Gene Wilder portrayed him where is it here all right come on everybody there's charlie here's baruka hold on sam beauregard here sam mr walker beauregard. Oh, oh, right. here's my whenever you need anything in the automotive line just call on sam b phone numbers on the card with sam b it's a guarantee <laughs> i'm mike tv mike. well oh. you're dead wonderful to meet you mike <laughs> 
So in case you forget, he he's wearing a, a cowboy getup. He draws his gun and he shoots Willy Wonka and he says, "Wham, you're dead." And then uh, and then Willy Wonka follows up by saying, "What an adorable little boy." All right. So then they go into the factory and kind of the rest of the movie happens. Um, and so like the this is really an intriguing first 45 minutes. I mean, like I said, like the, everything that we remember about this movie happens from this point on. So there's another, say 55 minutes of this movie where things happen, but this is like the halfway point and we're not even in the, the factory yet. Meanwhile, there's been like uh, all sorts of scenes with people who aren't even like really main characters to the movie who set this up. And so what, what's actually going on? Um, so we have talked about in the past how, uh, when you have a theme that the tension between characters can be used as the embodiment of that theme. So the characters, uh, you know, their different perspectives, how they approach things, uh, those will help uh, us as the audience put ourselves in the position of kind of where do we feel about this thing. Um, but so what's happening here is they're not using characters. They're using these tonal contradictions uh, where anytime there's a moment of joy, it's almost instantly contradicted with this feeling of dread and vice versa. So like every time a kid wins a golden ticket is juxtaposed, juxtaposed um, with this image of Slugworth whispering in the kid's ears. And let's talk about Slugworth just for a second. I mean, really, really uh, great character, really well played. The actor's name was Gunther Meissner. Um, and uh, I, I found out that he... He has a rare distinction. He has played Hitler not once, not twice, but he has played Hitler in three different uh, movies and TV shows. And so you you have to imagine that at some point, being the guy who everyone turns to to play Hitler has got to weigh on you a little bit. But even the idea, like the thing with Slugworth is he always seems to know where the the tickets uh, are where the golden tickets are. And there, there are at least two out of the five where he is literally there when the ticket is found. There's a few where he shows up at the the press conference, but there are two where he shows up (coughs) literally when the kid finds the ticket. And, And so there's this element of like, how does he know what, what's going on and how and where, where this is going to happen. Like, is there something going on here? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, is there something going on here where the, the kids are being intentionally chosen? Because that kind of seems like how it all goes. Um, but there's there's this constant contradiction that happens throughout the movie where something good happens and then something bad happens right away or vice versa. Uh, now, on the flip side, I really appreciate... I guess not the flip side, but additionally, I really appreciate the time that they took to set up the characters and the theme. So 45 minutes is a lot of time to set up your characters and how they, um, you know, where they fit into the theme. And so obviously one of the big themes of this movie is the corrupting power of greed. And so throughout the first 45 minutes, Charlie and all of the members of his family are shown as being um, very charitable, very uh, generous to each other. Everything they give, they share with everybody else. And so he's kind of the perfect foil to 
to the theme. Um, but there's been so much of this, um, this contradiction, this juxtaposition, this uh, uh, kind of lack of uh, establishing a, a statement or a grounding going all the way back to, uh, you know, where does this even take place? Like even at this, the ceremony outside, uh, outside Willy Wonka's factory, you've got people holding American flags, uh, British flags, German flags. It's not quite clear where the whole thing actually actually takes place and so many there have been so many times like the movie has conditioned us to associate good and fun and candy with dark and menacing that you think to yourself all right what did what did charlie actually win here and uh, so that the movie has done this really good job of establishing this unsettling tone that I, i think a lot of us people in my generation still feel like you still you get what it felt like to watch this movie. And obviously there's other more, ter- not more terrible things, but other terrible things that happen once they get in the factory. Um, but, uh, you know, we still remember how we feel. This is a rare movie where you remember how you you feel about it. And I, it's, I think it's because they've done a really good job about setting the tone. And this is a thing that horror movies try tend to do really well. They're really good at setting tone because it's really easy to set a kind of a dark, somber tone. Um, but it's not something that you see done as well in other genres. Sometimes you'll get what they call in the movie business a cold open, where you're dropped into a scene, you have no context, no knowledge of what's going on. Um, it's not officially part of the story, but it serves to introduce the idea. Uh, so like one that comes to mind is the opening to Jurassic Park. If you, I don't know if you even remember, there was an opening scene to Jurassic Park uh, where they're uh, delivering a velociraptor. You don't actually see the velociraptor um, and one of the workers gets pulled into the cage and killed. <coughs> so, and so you're introduced to this like idea of this is going to be something that's really, uh, really dangerous. Um, I, I, one movie that I think does do the whole theme thing well is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, they do a really good job of setting up this mix of wonder and terror and like what exactly is going on here. And they're able to continue that uh, really throughout the movie. But a lot of it is done here in Willy Wonka with uh, non-characters. There's probably at least eight to 10 minutes out of the first 40 that don't include any of the main characters. And so it's some of the ones that I played, uh, you know, with the, with the psychotherapist and the guy with the computer there, there's, there's a lot of theme that is established, um, without using any of the main characters. And so I think the lesson for us as, uh, as creative types and as storytellers is, you know, don't necessarily be afraid of making creative decisions whose sole goal is putting people in a, in a certain frame of mind. You know, you, you want to make sure that the person is feeling the right thing going into your story. And so it's okay if you want or need to use uh, characters or settings outside of uh, kind of the main plot line to do that. And so, like I said, in a future episode, I really like to talk about this whole idea of of subtext, which is 
what is being said without actually being said. And I think maybe we'll look back at this movie more in its entirety because I think it does it really well. And um, Gene Wilder's personification of Willy Wonka is just, uh, it's so great at it. It's like, is he good? Is he dark? Um, he's really sarcastic. And, you know, what is actually what is actually going on here? Um, all right, so I think that's it. That's the uh, the first 35 minutes of of Willy Wonka. I'm curious to hear what you all thought about it. Um, did you remember some of the things that that I did not, like the promotion of uh, tobacco use and uh, Mike TV's fascination with killings? Uh, can you still feel the uh, the tone of this movie in your soul like I can? Uh, but that is that's it for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoy your golden tickets. Until the next time, do what's right, love mercy, walk humbly, tell great stories, and drink superior spirits. <laughs>